Aloha, adventurer. I am Joshua Loya, a.k.a. Joshua the Jedi, the aspiring servant warrior. I have been uh, really enjoying these conversations, the content that we've provided for you. Unfortunately or fortunately, depending on how you uh, take this particular, 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 I don't know, that's not a word, but particular, uh, next bit of information will be good news or bad news. We are taking a break. Um, this is not the end. <laughs> this is not the end of Adventure Mind. Uh, this is the last episode of season two. Uh, we will be having some episodes, some special things throughout the summer, uh, but season three will likely resume sometime this fall. And uh, it's, you know, one of those things where we want to make sure that um, we can provide to you, the listener, quality content on a reliable schedule um, that allows us to still keep doing the things that allow, you know, make us us. So uh, me, uh, I'm your host, obviously, you know me, Justin Romack uh, and his wife, Angela, uh, are the production team behind, uh, you know, their their company, uh, Hero House, wow, <laughs> I can talk, I promise, uh, Hero House Creative, uh, they have done a great job in helping to get this podcast off the ground. It would not be at all possible without their um, allyship and hard, hard work. Uh, but we want to make sure that we can do this for a longer term. Right now, we're just footing the bills ourselves. We need to f- kind of figure out some way to uh, make this sustainable. And uh, we're, we're kind of reaching out to some allies. If you're interested in helping out with uh, audio production or just the street team getting the word out, that would help a lot. If you want to sponsor the costs, you know, maybe you got a business in San Diego or online and you'd like to help defray the costs of this show and uh, allow us to cover, you know, web posting and audio editing, all that kind of stuff. You know, that takes, it takes effort. Sometimes people have it in them to give uh, just because they love the cause. Some people, you know, as much as they might want to, they, they have to eat. And so in order to, to do this, uh, we need to kind of regroup. And so we're going to do that. Uh, but I've really enjoyed talking to all of you. This is not the end. I repeat, this is not the end. This is a regrouping so that we can provide even better quality for your listening, pleasure, enjoyment, enrichment, etc. So uh, if you want to uh, get in touch, um, you know, I have been less than uh, perfect <laughs> about checking my email. I'll be perfectly honest with that. We did have some issues with the Adventure Mind email, but I think we got that sorted out now. So you should be able to email Joshua at adventuremind.net. Honestly, though, uh, this surprises me a lot because I honestly hit Instagram. Uh, The best way to reliably get in touch with me at the moment seems to be Instagram. So if you follow me at Joshua the Jedi, you can message me there and I will eventually get to it. Um, So uh, hit me up over there if you'd like to help out with the podcast. We're going to do this thing and and, uh, see if we can get more people involved. So I think that's probably about it. But thank you so much, you guys, for for being around. Um, don't uh, don't you know? Stay subscribed, right? Like I said, we're gonna have little mini revisits and things over the course of the summer just to kind of keep the feed alive. And uh, you know, maybe there might be a, a couple of surprises in there. So we'll see what's going on. But um, this last episode of the season, at least for now, um, might come back and surprise you. Ha ha. But. Uh, we have uh, a guy I met on Clubhouse. I've met a couple of really cool people on Clubhouse. Um, you know, we had Mel Car- Will Macaro on earlier in the season, um, you know, talking about comedy and his experience there. And then we've also, you know, um, 
my friend, actually, actually, a couple of people have met at Clubhouse. We had Erin Daly, she was on. I met her on Clubhouse as well as Moran of Radenberg. But uh, the, the next person actually uh, was introduced to me by Marana. This is David Yosh- Yoshimura, uh, head of Sheepdog Defender, not Sheepdog Defense, which is actually what I mentioned. I think that's Tim Kennedy's organization. But Sheepdog Defender uh, is, uh, is Yosh's thing and um, teaching people uh, preparedness and gun safety and uh, tactical defense, things like that. Um, he's, uh, uh, he's U.S. CCA certified, uh, pretty solid organization, uh, helping people to be more aware of um, firearm safety and, and best practices. And uh, I think you're you're going to enjoy the conversation, even if you're not a firearms person, even if you're a person who says, nope, I'm not interested in owning a gun whatsoever. Uh, I still think that there are some principles that David gets into in this conversation that will be profoundly helpful, just in terms of personal awareness of your surroundings and just having a plan just in case something does go wrong. You know, it's, it's, there's, a, there's a difference between uh, preparedness and being paranoid, and I think uh, David does a pretty good job of explaining um, the difference and how to just kind of sit your mind at ease because you know you, you got it covered. So uh, thanks again. I'm going to leave it there. And uh, please reach out. If you'd enjoy the show, um, any of the episodes, please let us know. Put a review up on, on iTunes or, or Apple Podcasts uh, and Spotify, wherever you, you find this. And um, let me know on Instagram at, at Joshua the Jedi. All right, I'm going to let go. And uh, the next voice you'll hear will be um, David's. Uh, David Yosh Yoshimura. Aloha, adventurer. I am Joshua Loya, a.k.a. Joshua the Jedi, the aspiring servant warrior. I have with me uh, Mr. David Yoshimura, uh, affectionately known as Yosh on Clubhouse. Uh, that's where I met him, but uh, he is a uh, with uh, Sheepdog Defense. Uh, is it Sheepdog Defense or Personal Defender. Defense? Sheep. Oh, there you go. See, I'm getting educated already. So Sheepdog Defender, uh, but a very knowledgeable uh, gentleman about uh, firearms, personal safety, and uh, a really interesting approach I, I dig a little bit of that that sheepdog philosophy um that you kind of mentioned in conversation but uh thanks for coming on the show man i really appreciate it oh my pleasure thanks for having me yeah for sure so what is a sheepdog defender well i am out there promoting the sheepdog lifestyle so basically it's about being your own first responder which is the tagline to my business uh we need to get out there and be prepared for anything to happen that happens in our world, right? So first of all, the sheepdog defender philosophy is about not getting into a fight in the first place. But if you're called upon, the sheepdog's going to defend themselves and the flock, and they strive to be vigilant. They're always on watch. So that's the philosophy that we're trying to be. So we need to be prepared. We need to be vigilant. We need Could to be looking out for ourselves. Could you contrast that with... Uh... Could you contrast that with paranoia? Because some people hear that and they think like preppers on like Netflix or something or, or you know, whatever. Like, I mean, there might be an element of that perhaps, but like, how do you distinguish that from being prepared versus paranoid? So um, in the self-defense world, we have a color scale, scale of awareness. And basically, if you're at home, white is like you're in a safe place. The doors are locked. You mm-hmm. know, you probably the idea of a threat is pretty low. 
other than some kind of invasion home robbery. Sure. Sure. So uh, you're relaxed. Uh, you're probably not, you know. Yeah, expecting somebody to bust down your door and all of a sudden. Your head's yeah. not on a swivel. <laughs> right. But anytime you leave the door and you're heading to your car and you're going out in the world, we go to the next level, which is yellow, which is just being alert about what's going on in your space and what's around you, what's ahead of you. It's not paranoia turning around 360 degrees every you know every 10 seconds and making sure that nobody's coming up on you but it is being cognizant of what's around you and the, the major part of that is in today's day and age is when you're out in public don't have your head out you know down in your phone i mean yeah, a lot of people are on the like they're on the bus or the train they're out in their thing and they're they're uh, busy playing candy crush and they're not paying attention <laughs> What's so you have on? this 360 degree world as far as you can see, but when that phone yeah. comes out, you're in a 12 inch circle and you're sure. unaware of everything that's going on around you. So even if you have an opportunity to see that something's going down and you need to leave, you're, you're just cutting yourself off in the knees because you don't know your head's down in the phone. You're taking that text. You're listening to that podcast and it's hard. I mean, I have to actively. Sh- not pull my phone out of my pocket when I'm mm-hmm. out in the world. Well, and then you have people who go for for like a jog or or, or something. They're they're working out. Maybe they go to the park, and they're listening to music to amp themselves up for that run. And they you know they they got those nice uh, you know Dr. Dre headphone headphones or Raycons or whatever you know some kind of thing that they're they're rocking. We're not sponsored by any of them yet. Uh, but as far as as far as that goes, that can you know people assume it's just uh, you know not having your face in your phone, I'm sure having headphones and listening to music or something can distract you from what's around you too, right? You're taking away your audible warning system, yeah. right? I mean, there could be somebody 50 yards away and they're getting an altercation and you're yelling at each other and somebody's screaming, I'm going to kill you. And, you know, somebody else is like, I got a gun and you don't hear any of that, you know? Mm-hmm. So you're like, you're just making yourself fodder, right? So, all right, so so if you're you're so the big thing is then when you go out in the world um, outside your door that you get that yellow thing you kind of you know as far as the color gradations and your your encouragement to people or, or kind of your advice to keep yourself safe is just to to be aware of your surroundings so that you're not caught unaware. Yeah, I don't know if everybody's seen it on YouTube yet, but there's that you know video of the girl that's walking in the mall and she walks right into a fountain because she's got her head in her phone. I mean. There's, I'm sure there's a bunch I mean, of those. <laughs> I, yeah. I mean, it's it happens over and over and over again, right? So that's the society we live in, but that also makes you the person that somebody who has ill intent, they're going to target you. I mean, if you have the if, – if, if, a, if a criminal has a choice between a guy sitting on a stoop that's 220 pounds but his head's in his phone versus a lady mm-hmm. that's 110 pounds walking down the street and she's got her head on a swivel and she's walking with a purpose – and she's paying attention to everything around her, the criminal's probably going to go for the guy with his head in the phone because he's got yeah, the advantage. They're, not, they're looking for an easy target. They're not looking for, for a fight, generally. They are lazy, right? They're going to take the path of least resistance. And somebody who's not paying attention is a much better target than somebody who has looked them in the eyes as they're walking by and taken note of their appearance. They don't want that. Cool. All right. So, so you got you got this this yellow gradation. I suspect it climbs from there because honestly, these these yes. kind of color levels that we had, especially when 
uh, the war on terror was really preeminent in our, our, uh, you know, discussion and consciousness and all that. Um, honestly, I, I got kind of personally, maybe this is unwise, but I got a little bit exhausted with the constant changing of it. And I, I didn't pay as much attention to any of that, uh, cause it seemed like such a remote threat, but I think the, probably the color scheme is, is similar from that is it, does it borrow from those types of threat levels, like military threat levels? Uh, no, there's just, you know, so you had white and yellow, and then the next one would be orange. And basically okay. orange is you're out in the world, you're alert, but now you pick up on something. You see something that's, you know, 50 yards away. You see some kind of an altercation that's coming forward, or you see somebody who's out of place. You know, I'm in the desert right now. It's 100 degrees. If I saw somebody walking around and they've got a trench coat on, Mm-hmm. Red flag, right? right? Just an yeah, obvious that's thing. That's not normal, n- normal uh, attire when it's that sweltering, right? So I'm just like, this this guy's concealing something. You know, he's he's got something going on there that he doesn't want us to see. So that is a orange indicator, and okay. I've actually uh, had this discussion with my wife. It's like if we're in public, and I just say orange out of nowhere, that's your cue to understand that I see something that's not right and you need to be ready to go mm-hmm. it's like because our first thing you know my plan a b and c is to run away sure you know yeah, if, yeah. if you're mean, not you're, you're there capable things man. can't happen to you yeah you're a capable man but you're not about to uh <laughs> go pick fights that's the that's kind of the whole antithesis of what you're talking about is you you exactly. stay away from the fight but if the fight comes up then you're ready I have, I'm undefeated because I haven't had any fights, right? I've won every fight I've never been in. And, and, sure. and that's the kind of, that's kind of this philosophy of, you know, don't be there. Uh, I follow a guy on YouTube and he's fond of saying, don't be in stupid places with stupid people at stupid times. <laughs> and that's the majority of the battle. I'm not going to run into the convenience store in the sketchy part of town at 3 a.m the odds of something well, happening to me are very high there compared to my for normal sure. life. For sure. Well, actually it's funny you mentioned the convenience store on, on one of your, your question of the day rooms, um, which are really fascinating by the way. I mean, obviously it's not all about gun safety and, and firearms and, and self-defense and stuff, but um, really, really fun rooms. The one thing I, th- I can't Thank remember you. if it was you that brought it up or if it was Jay, uh, another guy that joins you on there. Uh, but just the simple thing of looking inside the window of the convenience store before you go inside. So you don't Jay brought that up and it was brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a really good, good. Cause I think, uh, I think he was talking the story about like a off duty cop that walked in and he didn't look. And now he is the responsible by virtue of his occupation. Now he's responsible to take care of it. Um, cause he, you know, you look in the door, you can decide whether or not you want to get involved or you can maybe call it in from far away. But if you don't pay attention now you're in the situation, but if you look, and you can keep that distance, so now you're not a active participant in the situation. That that's probably wise. Yeah, if you if you can get away, you get away, and and you're not responsible. I mean, it's terrible to say, but you're not responsible for anybody but yourself and your loved ones that are with you. Maybe your best well, friend. You, and you, you can want to still them. call in, right? Like you may not want oh, to absolutely. get personally involved, or, or or may think it's probably best to not get personally involved. That doesn't preclude you from calling emergency services if somebody gets on the scene that is able to handle that. No, yeah, I'm a civilian. I don't have powers of authority to do anything, right? I mean, all I can do is protect myself and those I love. 
So if there's any opportunity to leave, sure, then I'll, I'll pick up the phone and I'll call and say, hey, something's going down at this convenience store. But um, you, you just really, you don't want to interject yourself into things because you just don't understand. You may not, you may totally have a 180 degree view of what's going on because you're coming in in the middle and you just don't ever want to put yourself in that position. For sure. All right. So, so, so orange is like something, yeah. it's something's not right. Something smells right. Sure. And we have to be ready to leave. Red is you have to take action. So ABC is run away. D is diffuse. So I need to diffuse or deescalate. So mm-hmm. if it's a personal thing where get away from that convenience store analogy, the guy comes up to you outside the store. And he's agitated and you've wronged him in his world somehow. Maybe it's just because you're breathing. Um, you, you want to go. You never know what's going to trigger somebody sometimes. We, we don't know. And you know, look at today. I mean, we don't right. know. Right. I mean, they could not like my shoes. Uh, who knows? I, I, you know, I don't know. I don't know what people are going to take issue with. They, they just don't like my face. I mean, who knows? So they come up and they're, they're conf- confrontational and they're emotional and they're fidgeting, and they're just not looking very, they're looking erratic, right? Mm-hmm. So now I need to move in to diffuse or de-escalate. So a book I like to point everybody to, and you've probably heard me say this a million times in mm-hmm. the rooms that I host, is called Verbal Judo by George J. Thompson. And he spent a whole career in academia and then actually became a cop and studied how cops de-escalated situations when they had to deal with the public so that they didn't have to use force. Sure. And it's, it's brilliant. You know, it's, it's, it's using compassion. It's using, uh, arguments that are, uh, or narratives that are painting a picture for the person. Just like, man, do we really, do we really want to go down this path? Do you, you have a job, you have a girlfriend, do you, do you really want to end up, you know, in jail and, mm-hmm. and lose your job and, you know, just getting on their level and understanding, you know, from their perspective, is is whatever it's going on here is it really worth it mm-hmm. well, so that's 100 percent consistent with the philosophy that i was trained with you know um the the kempo master that i studied with since like oh five or whatever he always again and again and again he would say use as much force as the bad guy makes necessary and he would oftentimes follow that up with which might be none at all <laughs> Oh, you know, exactly. it, might, it might be something that is you just talk the per, talk to the person for a minute and diffuse the situation. You don't have to throw a punch or or, or uh, shoot for a double leg or, or do any of that. Like you, sometimes it's just talking to the person down so they realize that they don't have to take violent action towards you or that they perhaps don't want to. Maybe diffusing the situation is like, hey, let me buy your next round. Mm-hmm. You know? No, what, absolutely. If I if I knock over somebody's beer at, at, or a drinker at a at a bar or something, um, I'm absolutely going to like, Oh, Hey, I'm sorry. I don't care if it was their fault. It was, yeah. You know, I don't know if they have a buddy around the corner or, or if what they know, or, you know, I don't, I'm not into hurting people if I can help it. If you're, yeah. If you're in that situation and you're a person that thinks, well, that's their fault, you know, screw them. Mm-hmm. Think about it for a second. Would you rather pay for a round of drinks and go home? Or would you rather have the police involved? And now you've got to get a lawyer and now there's a court date. I mean, it's a lot cheaper to buy a round of drinks than to get involved in that kind of situation. Were you the one who was talking about, again, sometimes these rooms kind of blur together. I, I, 
I don't know if you were there for that conversation where somebody uh, basically they got into an altercation and because of who the person was they they basically were connected. That was me it, talking it, about a friend yeah. of mine. Yeah, you, do you want do you want to open can you share that story or is that too uh, uh too close there was to a me? there was an altercation in a bar and Somebody got hit with ice, and there were words. And uh, my friend, very skilled jujitsu player, um, ended up dodging a, a, a swing or something. I think got to the guy's back, got him in a rear naked choke. Did not apply the choke. Right, broke just up the, the fight. position. Just got the position. Well, the yeah. person that he ended up choking, that was kind of the instigator of all, was a highly placed person in a major city's district attorney's office and has basically made his life a hell since then put him up on charges called him some favors even though it was in a different county and uh mm-hmm. he's been waiting around for a year to figure out whether or not he's going to be actually indicted for something and ha- has spent um, so sometimes you, know, you just 30k you on a lawyer yeah well and then that can impact your you know because you're a big uh concealed carry advocate if i not to put words mm-hmm. in your mouth. Um, feel free to correct me if I misspeak, but that can impact your ability to maintain your your uh, concealed carry permit too, can it? If you have Just any in, in, in my state of California, if you have any interaction with the police, like they pull you over and maybe they just mm-hmm. even give you a warning, you're obligated to talk to the CCW department and let them know what happened. And there's and the if they get word. Yes, if they get word that you had an, uh, had some interaction with the police and you didn't contact them, they can revoke your license. Yeah, so you never really know the consequences of your actions uh, uh, getting involved in a physical altercation. But in a larger scale, getting involved in an altercation, you don't know if you're going to survive it. Mm-hmm. You know, all of a sudden somebody pulls out a knife. I mean, you just don't. You know, or they improvise a weapon, hit you over the head with a bottle. You know? Yeah, and now they got now now they had a blood instrument, and now they have a sharp instrument. <laughs> well, yeah, but even you know the subsequent fall to the ground, people fall all the time and hit their head and don't survive it. Oh, that's yeah. right. Yeah. When we do jujitsu, we learn to break falls. The very first thing, right? If you don't yep. fall correctly, you hit your head, and the fight's over. Agreed. So, but you never know. You don't know the outcomes, right? We're we're so used to watching these outcomes on television. And of course, you know, the hero is going to come out. He's not going to die. And so, you know, we, we see these things played over and over in the media of uh, good outcomes or the good guy's going to win. You have none of those guarantees in a real fight. So don't get in the fight in the first place. Now, moving on from orange, it's red. And you haven't been able to, to diffuse or de- de-escalate. Now you ha- I have A, B, C, D, E is engage. I have to engage. Right. Now I'm into a whole nother realm. Some sort of force needs to be used to defend myself. Now I have to work. I have to make a decision on what I'm going to use, right? Am I going to use my hands? Mm-hmm. Am I going to use a weapon that I might be carrying on myself as far as a, a knife or a tactical pen or a Sharpie that's in my pocket? And that's a very effective weapon. You look at how hard a sharp Sharpie is. That this is a very hard piece of plastic. So you could use that to poke somebody with it and be very effective. You poke them in the sure soft can. part of their body, they're going to feel that right away. Yeah. But as you started to infer earlier, there is this scale of 
force against somebody who's putting force on you, and it needs to be an unreasonable uh, reaction. So somebody says something and pushes me, you don't pull out your concealed carry weapon and shoot them, right? That's not an equal Right, they should have been asking for the directions force. from across the street. <laughs> <laughs> so in that same respect, you know, if somebody's scuffling with you, maybe you have to go hand-to-hand with them, but it's not appropriate to be pulling out a knife and slicing them up, you know? Yeah. Now, if the knife comes out, then you probably go to your firearm because the lethality of knives is it, it's it's really high, and a lot of people don't understand that. Somebody who knows how to wield a knife are is very scary because they can do a lot of damage. They never run well, out of ammunition. People tend to play to their strengths, right? Like so, and it's a general principle. And I mean, you see it in. MMA fights, but you also see it in self-defense, where if somebody is a competent grappler, you know, so 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 uh, if say somebody throws a double leg, right, a double leg takedown, for, for example, you know that they at least have some wrestling experience. How much mm-hmm. you don't know. If somebody pulls a knife, you know that they feel confident by having that knife. You don't know if they have false confidence because it's a weapon, or if they legitimately have some real skill with it probably not worth taking the time to find out no i i I do not ever want to be in a knife fight and i know people have been stabbed multiple times in different fights (laughs) and the stories are always crazy and you're always getting hurt if you take any kind of knife training you realize that it is going to be a bloody messy thing and you're probably not going to walk away uninjured so best not to deal with those but um you definitely want somebody who wants to poke at you with a knife versus somebody who makes big sweeping motions because that person's trained and they know how to to really put the hurt on you. And then now we're, that, we're in the that, realm that of people machine. that bleed out really fast. What about like that sort of sewing machine step, like the, the real famous scene you see in like, um, like Goodfellas where he opens up the trunk and he just kind of like stabs him like a bunch of times, like bam, 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 bam. Is that... Is that a thing? How does that compare? Since you have a lot more experience with, um, as a trainer, and, and you know, even though you haven't personally been in a knife fight, you're aware of this this situation. I've seen a lot of interviews on people that train with knives and train martial arts and everything else, and they're deathly afraid of people that know how to wield a knife. Sure, it's sure. extremely dangerous. Um, the, the amount of damage that you can do to somebody very quickly. And the fact that they could, you know, if you cut the right part of the arm or the leg, you yep. know, you're going to bleed out in minutes. But I, <laughs> the longest running room that I threw up on Clubhouse one day was, are knife fights really that lethal? And that went for <laughs> five and a half hours. I believe and, it. And the people were like, most of the people in the room was like, I'd rather be shot than, than sliced with a knife. Yeah, because what's the the statistic for survival? Uh, do you know? Prog- like I don't have any at my fingertips. I just know that it's bad news. But sure, yeah. So getting back to red is like you need you need to figure out what level of force you're going to use to respond. And and here's here's the thing, right? Somebody's doing some violence towards you. You have a second or two to decide what your response is. And if it ends up in court, either criminally or or civilly, mm-hmm. you had to make a decision in one or two seconds. They're going to talk about what you did. 
and everything you did up until that point and everything you've done after that point for two or three years. And so everything that you've ever posted on, on, on social media, things that you've said to friends, it's all going to be out there. And if somebody wants to use it against you, whether it's a, a DA that's malicious or it's a, or it's a civil suit and it's, it's the people that are suing you, that's all going to come out in the wash. And yet you only had a second to try to decide how do I defend myself? And I, I would imagine, uh, just, you know, cause real life mirrors training, at least to some degree, sometimes the intensity or, or the level of threat or your awareness of it can shift. Um, you might think you only have one person to deal with and halfway through the fight, his three buddies come around the corner. That is a huge concern. The guy engages you, you start to deal with the situation. You always, if you can be looking around for what I call a trailing assailant. So it's a buddy. He might be standing there and it just takes his brain two or three minutes to decide he's going to get involved. Or you're saying they're a little bit late to the party and they come around the corner and mm -hmm. they see their buddy getting in a fight. Well, they're they're going to step naturally... up to, to help their buddy out regardless of what the situation is. Right. And if the guy that you're fighting has buddies that are worse than him, maybe they're producing weapons and, and maybe they even have a, a lower regard for life. Sure. And so that's why it's always better to not be there in the first place. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I always, I always refer to Mighty Python when they're like in the fake horses and they're like, run away, run oh, yeah. away. <laughs> that's what plays in my head. Run away. <laughs> yep. Well, you got to watch out for the, the, the rabbits with the pointy teeth though, too, besides, but yes. And so then if you do deal with somebody who is, um, threatening your life, then you need to respond with the appropriate amount of force. And you always have to mm -hmm. stop when the threat stops. If the guy's on the ground and you've knocked him out and you continue to punch, you are putting yourself at risk. You criminally the line and from, criminally. To, to yes. Civilly yeah. and criminally. So, it's always something that we, the onus is on a, us to be so much better than the person that's trying to do us harm. And it, do you think it's good to kind of pre-decide before? I mean, there's all the, the whole training and, and, you know, we can get into that too, of course. But as, aside from the physical training, you know, of knowing how to handle a, either a firearm or non-lethal um, things like, you know, pepper spray and, and what have you. Is it helpful to pre-decide where your personal, you know, line is morally speaking? You know, as far as to whether or not you, what circumstances you're going to take a life for versus, uh, you know, like maybe I'm not going to kill somebody for my own self-defense, but if they're coming after my family or whatever, that how helpful is it to pre-decide that before the situation happens? You like almost have to do that. In it? You have to do those mental exercises. Say, what is my personal line in the sand? What is the thing that's going to happen that I am going to intervene or I'm going to protect myself with as much lethal force as I deem necessary? You have to have those things mapped out in your head. Otherwise, it comes and just like we, you know, you, we've all trained jujitsu. You spend hours on the mat simulating somebody killing you so that when you actually mm -hmm. get on the ground in real life, you're first of all comfortable with it and then you know how to deal with it and hopefully take advantage and take control of it. And if you haven't done that mentally in your head, what are the circumstances where if you're a concealed carrier that you would actually produce that weapon and use it? 
uh, I have extremely high bar. And because of that, I have put other levels of safety or prevention before me, starting with not being in those places, diffusing mm-hmm. the situation with my words, and then maybe going to something as far as ha- open-handed skills or mm-hmm. something I might have on my person as like a tactical pen before I resort to a lethal weapon like a firearm. Yeah, One of the things that we talked about, I think, just the other day was the idea of layers. Yes. Right. Um, and we can come back, you know, Phil, you're the organized man with notes. So, so you, you feel free to pull me back on track, but I'm, I'm, we're talking about how you don't want to just know how to use a firearm. You don't want to just, um, be really good at shooting or really good at this and that. Like, uh, we're talking about even personal, you know, health and fitness is a way to affect, uh, self-defense. If your goal is self-defense, you know, uh, being drunk constantly is going to have an impact not only on on your awareness of what's around you but also on your personal health and so there's there's those choices and then you like you said i think and and we can get into this too but you you talked about how you wanted to have that layer that didn't require lethal force and i think if i remember correctly that's what got you into to training in jiu-jitsu and having more direct hand-to-hand experience yeah, I got way into firearms. I got way into training, and I was watching. I'll just plug him. It's called Active Self Protection. John Korea has a fantastic YouTube channel where every day he's posting videos of violent encounters from all over the world, and sometimes it's even police badge cams. And he breaks mm-hmm. down what happens and talks about what they did well and what they didn't do very well. I mean, sometimes we're seeing cops muzzling their partners. That means sweeping across them with their firearm. Um, oh, geez. Yeah. I mean, and, and these are trained people, right, that strap a firearm every day with the full realization that they might have to use it in defense of their life or somebody else's. So it's just, um, you know, it, it, it's a really good way. That's part of that mental preparation. If mm-hmm. you watch that faithfully, you're seeing different situations and how people react and how they should have reacted. But I was right. watching this, that. These aren't dramatizations. This isn't choreography. This isn't. This is actual documentation of things that actually took place. And fair warning: some of them don't have a great result. So be ready for that. Some yeah, people so don't survive the encounter. If you go watch that stuff, people listening, wait, <laughs> wait to see if you're actually willing to watch that. Right, and he'll say that if, if, if it's going to be a bad result for somebody. Sure. Um, but you see how these things go down. You see how fast they go down. And you see instances when people are not situationally aware and it allows somebody to get the jump on them. And, uh, but he, so I was watching him, right? And, mm-hmm. you know, every other video or three videos, he'd saying, well, a firearm's not the answer here. You needed open handed skills. And I'm like, open handed skills. I'm thinking, okay, well, I did, uh, did Taekwondo 30 years ago, and I'm thinking about my Taekwondo, taekwondo 30 days. years ago may, may not help you now as an adult. Exactly. And nor could I, oh, you know, let's go back to Taekwondo. No, right. I can't take the pounding. I'm too old. So right. I started a little personal journey of researching on YouTube to find out what kind of open-handed skills, martial art, I could pick up and not die doing it. 
<laughs> I found jujitsu. You know, sometimes, depend, sometimes, I don't know, I, I just had a no-gi class earlier today. There were moments where I, I was so gassed, I felt like I was going to die. <laughs> I, I'm not saying that it hasn't happened, but I had the yeah. best opportunity to survive and get up the next day and get my work done. <laughs> so sure. I fell in love with jujitsu right off the bat. Just knowing that 90% of the time and there's a fight, it goes to the ground. And grappling jujitsu is all about the ground. So why does it make sense to stand, uh, you know, arm's length away from somebody else, Queen's rules, and try to beat each other to submission when I can be farther than arm's length and you can't hurt me, you can't hit me, or I can be chest to chest with you or on your back and you can't hurt me. If, If I'm so close to you, if I'm giving you a big old hug, it's hard for you to strike me. One one of the things that is really cool about um, jujitsu in particular, uh, and I feel like anytime I have somebody on the on the podcast that has jujitsu experience, we always seem to talk about this. At least to me, is you can absolutely diffuse a situation with less force having grappling. I, there's a jujitsu black belt that I, I trained with um, a few times, uh, John Rolfe, and he he said he'd started doing jujitsu because he didn't want to hit people. And, and that is a very good point for self-defense in this year, in this age. Like when the police show up and you've been involved in an altercation, mm-hmm. you want them to find you sitting on top of somebody, got them in submission, got their arm, something like that, or they're just waking up from taking yep. a little nap, which is the last thing I would want to do is choke somebody. But um, That's better than like you, <laughs> you just bash their head against a wall or whatever. Exactly. If they show up and the guy's – broken and he's bloody you know forget the civil stuff you might get off on that but they're going to sue you um civilly yeah even though if they're 100 percent in the wrong they nobody anybody can sue you for anything right yep. i mean there's instances in california where somebody breaks into a house ends up getting shot and then the family sues them for shooting the person that was in the house you know threatening people so <laughs> you're almost better off from a legal standpoint of just killing the guy or are you no, I don't want to advocate that here. No, sorry. <laughs> um, you are better off creating a home defense plan, which is one of the classes that I teach, and making your house very undesirable for criminals to bust in in the first place, doing simple fixes around your home that fortify it, using an alarm system and actually turning it on at night and when you leave. All of those things are going to do much better than dealing with somebody who gets into your house. At that point, the planning, it's too late, right? Now you've got to deal with the situation like not being in the place where bad things happen, not having your house set up to where... To entice people to come into it. Exactly. We just want to fly under the radar and live our lives and love the people we love and, and die peacefully in our bed. That should be everybody's goal, right? Sure, for sure. Um, I don't. Know, I, I. I think. Uh, you know, the idea of things oftentimes is more exciting than the actual reality of it. And like we're like, oh, I want to be the tough guy. And then you, you know, you think that like when you're early twenties, but then you actually get into a few fights, you kind of realize, you know, weird stuff can happen. So. Yes, I mean, you can plan all you want, but when the first when the first blow goes, it's all out the window, right? Then it's all sure. instinctual. It's all that muscle memory. It's the same way when you're using firearms. If you're not going out to the range and you're not practicing and you're not taking additional training and honing that skill, 
the time when you go to do it and you have an adrenaline dump and you're afraid for your life, mm-hmm. if those skills aren't muscle memory in your mind, the chances of you actually hitting a target are very low. The uh, Somebody was once told me when uh, if you're ever in a situation where somebody pulls a gun on you, there's only one size gun, big like a big, <laughs> you know, big hand cannon, right? Uh, I'll, I'll keep a PC for the or, or you know, kind of friendly for the time being. But and for your there listeners, is nothing but a hand cannon. Well, yes. my listeners have heard me swear before, but for you know, for your no. for your delicate ears, you know. <laughs> no, I'm I'm saying, but, but there for is your, for your listeners. Good. All yeah. the videos on YouTube where you're watching people disarm somebody who has a gun on them. Yep. Move along. Don't watch it. Don't. <laughs> it, it is such a low percentage win. It's not worth it. I mean, we haven't talked about this yet, but, you know, in Diffuse, in Plan D, mm-hmm. and Deescalate, one of those things you might do is just simply comply. Right? If it's sure. a person that says, I, I mean, want and, your wallet you and cash your watch, you. yep. exactly. Mm-hmm. Give them your freaking wallet and your cash. Try not to, worth it. You can don't, cancel don't it. Go you can go home hand. five minutes later and go cancel those cards. It's not that not exactly. That it's a hassle, but it's not a trip to the hospital, right? I mean, yep. and in a lot of instances, they're going to get what they want and they leave. Now, unfortunately, we've got some psychopaths out there, and they're going to walk up to you, and they're not only going to do that, but they're just bound and determined to hurt you. And that's when you have to have everything in place. You have to have those layers. You have to have all these tools available to you so you can make that split-second decision. You have the muscle memory, and you can fight for your life. How – obviously, you live and breathe this stuff at a, at a different level than and, – and you did mention that you're a civilian. Um, cl- clarifying question, you, you never served in the military? I did not. Yourself? Because it's – okay, because it's a real common thing, and I, I thought that was really interesting that um, – with with all of this you you actually talked to me uh, you know a few of us one time about how you like to not be the really intense guy you know that 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 says like oh we're going to train you up to be like a seal and all this stuff and you know it's like people get intimidated they don't want to have somebody scream at them yeah so there's a subsect that's like hey i'm going to go get trained by this former Navy SEAL and he's going to put me through the paces. And some people are down for that. Oh, absolutely. And there's, there's a market for that. That's not me because that's not my background and I'm not going to represent that's my background. I'm not going to give you, uh, you know, Patriot gun defense school. You know, I'm not going (laughs) to be, you know, propping up the flag. I'm sheepdog defender. I'm, I'm about protecting myself and, and the people I love, right? I don't want to go any farther than that. Right. And there's a lot of people that that's what they want to do. They just want to know enough and practice enough that it ever happens, they're going to be ready because they don't want to live with the results if they're not ready. I mean, the guilt of not being ready can be just as bad as, you know, I mean, I mean, Let's talk about guilt. <laughs> That's why one yeah. of the focuses I train, I train a lot of first aid too, you know, sure. doing a five hour first aid class. Yep. Yes. Doing a five hour first aid class, you know, so we're talking, we've talked about, you know, self protection, but now let's talk about life preservation, you know, sure. and what's something you're more likely to use than all the self defense training is 
trying to save somebody that's in a bad spot. And, sure. you know, if you live in a city, you might be EMT response of five to eight minutes. If you're in a rural area, it could be 20. If you're out in a cabin somewhere or on a hiking trip, it could be hours. And if you don't know the simple things of first aid, you can prolong somebody's life and, and get them stable enough that when the professionals show up, that they're going to be able to take it. But that five to eight minutes with a severe cut, somebody could expire because they could be bleeding sure. heavily. And things like stop the bleed, which are just three basic things, very easy yep. to teach. 15 minutes. I've done it through the class. I've done it through the clubhouse, you know, just talking about it. Just so people have it in their head, they understand. Here's the three things that you do. Here's the tools that you can use to stop somebody from bleeding. Recognizing that somebody's having a stroke, very simple to do. And time is of the essence with strokes. So the quicker you can acknowledge that, oh, this is a stroke going on and get that person to a hospital so that they can get the medications that will dissolve that blood clot in, in the veins going to the brain and the arteries going to the brain uh, will make all the difference in the world. It gives them a chance. And so many people don't do that. They don't take a little bit of time. It's an afternoon, you know, and then create create a decent kit. Create a kit that is has a mission. My kit for my car is a different mission than the kit that I wear on the range than the one that I have at home or the one we take on a vacation if we're going out to the woods. We, there's different. There's a large kit, a medium kit, a small kit, a personal kit, and you need to know what tools are available. You need to invest a little bit of money, but you know how are you going to feel if you didn't invest that little bit of money and something happens mm -hmm. and you didn't have the tools available? And you know something just even as simple as and to borrow from my my background surfing wise, um, you know for if if somebody's out there they're at the beach a lot, and they're especially if they go to more remote beaches, it's probably not a bad idea to have yourself a stingray kit, right? Like like just because that's the hazard of that specific circumstance. You know, like my my uh, close surfing buddy, he always brings one, and you know, been stung only a handful of times his whole life surfing, but. There have been several times where he's been out there and somebody who wasn't even part of our group, you know, they didn't know to shuffle their feet when they wandered out to shore and they step on a stingray and they're really far from the lifeguard, but he's got a, a, a little, you know, uh, portable boil kit. You can take, because you're boiling the water, you can take that seawater and fill it up and make the hot water inside of just a few minutes. Somebody can be getting that neurotoxin out of their foot, but that's only because he's prepared to, to be there to help someone or to, to help himself if it happens to him. Yeah. And so that's, that's like I say, you need a mission specific first aid kit, mm -hmm. right? You're obviously not going to run into a stingray in the middle of like Palm desert. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, so that's why, so, you know, there's variations on everything. There's variations on these layers of protection that we put around ourselves. And, and just like everybody's individual, you're going to have an individual situation so you need to make sure that your kit might be addressing the things that you might see. So again, I, I, I don't, this is not a gotcha thing, but I'm really curious. How do you balance out being prepared with being paranoid? Being prepared, being, brings you, being prepared brings you peace of mind. 
so that you don't have to be anxious. So like the, if you know that you have the tools to handle things, would you say that that keeps you from kind of being anxious? And so you don't have to be like, you're, I, I guess more precisely being vigilant without being like f- kind of fanatical. How do you, or do you make a distinction? Um, you know, anything can be taken to extremes and I try to keep my life in balance, mm-hmm. but I also have always wanted to live responsibly and, and, and take responsibility for sure. my life and my family's life. So to me, it's just part and parcel of what I need to do. Um, sure. I, I, you know, um, first aid kits, you know, you can buy one off the shelf and then you can, you know, build it up as you go. You don't have to go and buy everything all at once. Um, you do need to change out stuff because things expire. Sure. It's really well, easy well, now with the at, internet to go on yeah. to a reputable website that sells, you know, good materials that maybe for, uh, first responders use. Mm-hmm. And it's not expensive to rebuy the little ointment packets and the, the, the aspirin. You know, sure. get some you don't have shears. to buy a brand new kit. You can just buy like kit size uh, aspirin things or or uh, Bactine or whatever the case you might need. Yeah, I mean they're cheap. I just I just went through my kits and redid them, and they had a Memorial Day sale on some of the sites that I use. So I went on there and took advantage of the sale and and replenished. You know, and every six months you you should take the band aids, the, the stupid band aids, and throw them out, especially here in the heat that I have. You know, sitting I, in my you know, car. I don't even think I ever considered that that band aids would uh, would no longer work. We had a, uh, a gentleman come into the clubhouse room. We were talking about first aid one day, and he uh, runs ambulances in Eastern Oregon. And mm-hmm. he said every six months they go through the buses and they take all the adhesive bandages out, and then they put new ones in. Every six months they replace all the adhesive stuff. Because you're going to run, it's just not going to stick as well. Yeah, it it it, it expires. It it runs. Its effectiveness runs out. That that's fascinating. I, I like literally would not have even considered it. And we're talking, go to CVS, buy an assortment of band aids for two or three bucks, chuck the other ones, put those in your kit, and you're done. Right. Every year or two, you got to replace all the little ointments and stuff. Just you know, look at your expiration dates. Um. It's it's just making it part of the routine, right? Well, I guess it's not a whole lot different than, you know, I I draw the, and, and I don't know if you would, I draw the parallel between like, um, like when you're trying to up your nutrition, something as simple as, you know, maybe back up, maybe have one soda or no soda rather than <laughs> seven, you know, yeah, or whatever. It just those the sort of, it, it seems overwhelming if it is outside of your wheelhouse. It seems overwhelming and, and not doable if you're not doing any of it. But every step forward is a step in the right direction towards um, shifting your lifestyle to where you don't have to worry about this stuff. You can actually have that, like you're saying, you have that peace of mind because you know you're prepared uh, or more prepared. You, know, you don't have to go full bore and, and build yourself a bunker or, or have like military-grade first aid kits for every single situation. But having some level of preparedness allows you to relax just a minute, if, if I'm understanding you. It builds, you know, jujitsu, right? Being right. able to control your body, being able to move, being able to fight on the ground. What does it do for you? It builds confidence, right? So sure does. You train, you work on techniques, 
you know how to use the tools at your disposal. Well, it's the same thing with the first aid kit. If it's there and mm-hmm. you know it's current and you know what's in that bag and you take it apart every once in a while and put it back together just so you have muscle memory and where something is, when time's of the essence, you're going to know where it is, what to grab, and how to use those tools to save somebody's life. And that that does kind of pull into one of the things that you've you've talked about a lot a little bit today, but of being your own first responder. Like you were talking about how if you're in a you know, if you live in the city, you're you're pretty close to getting that EMT response, you know, the further away you get from that, the probably the more important it is to be able to handle more of that yourself. Yeah, and when you get out to communities that are in rural areas, you see that they are much more self-sufficient. They think about this more often, and they probably have a much better plan than people that uh, live in the city do. And we can't count. We get complacent in, in more uh, urban or suburban areas because we, I mean, I can walk at three in the morning. I can go just go to the store to get food. Right, like you, <laughs> just something as simple as nutrition, right? right? And and I and I live in an area where I I can walk to four or five grocery stores. Um, several of them are open rather late. Yeah, that's you know, walking. <laughs> yeah, most places you got twenty four hour service in a lot of places, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. you just so people that live in rural areas have to plan better, right? All the stores shut down on Sunday. Everything's closed at seven. Mm-hmm. I was just in a small town in Utah a few weeks ago. You know, sure. it was like, yeah, you got to you got to plan a little bit better, right? When you know resources are are limited or only available at certain times, you just have to think about it a little bit more. You just can't open up the fridge and go, oh, there's nothing in here. I'm just gonna go down to the convenience store and I'm all set. Um, we need to be thinking more long term like that when it comes to. Uh, these type of things when it comes to the first aid, but you have to train it too. You you can have an Israeli bandage or an H H bandage in your kit that came with this pre bought kit that you got. Nice nice piece of equipment. But if but you don't, if you know, don't know what it, I doesn't... just said, yeah, how are you going to deploy it? Well, the same thing. I I, I do say I, I don't have really a lot of firearm experience, and it's probably less relevant for me being blind. I mean, it should probably know how to handle one, what have you. But um, people ask me, you know, well, should I carry a knife? Like, I, I would say, don't carry a knife unless you know how to use it. Don't. I would imagine probably the same thing is the case for for a gun. Don't carry any kind of weapon or tool if you don't know how to use it. I was thinking about we were talking about pepper spray in one of the rooms, and what if you don't know which way is and you end up spraying yourself in the face now you end up helping the person you're trying to fight off <laughs> that was the day yeah like um so many people oh buy my wife or a girlfriend a pepper spray and throw it in her purse call it a day does she know how to use it did you buy yep. two or three did canisters? you think about wind yes wind? and did you did you take them out in the field somewhere and have her actually actuate it and set it off you know they're not that expensive i mean buy three or four and actually go train with it because she's not going to have time to pull it out and start looking at the instructions. Mm-hmm. You know, you you can't, like I talked about muscle memory, if you're using a firearm and you're not practicing all the time, you know, whether it be dry fire or going to the range, if you're not going to be able to produce that and accurately use it, 
I tell all my people and students, I say, you're responsible for every trigger press you make on a firearm your entire life. Mm-hmm. And when I say trigger press, that means you might be unloading the gun, you might be doing dry fire. Anything that happens with that firearm, that's your responsibility. So you have to take it very seriously. Now, it is just a tool, and it's a tool that can cause a great amount of damage if it's used improperly. But it's also a tool that can't do anything unless it's used, right? I mean, right. It's we, not going to just go off by itself. It's not going to go off by itself. It does not start floating around in your house at night, stalking you. You know, we, we, we tend to, uh, people that are very afraid of guns tend to think that they're just this evil thing that's just waiting to kill somebody. No, it's a tool. You know, I don't, I don't pamper my firearms. I go out and I use them. I, I do competition shooting and stuff like that. If it gets scratched up, it's, it's a tool, right? Yeah. It's, it's not a collectible, right? It's something that I go out and use, just like I use a screwdriver. And sure. Yeah. I mean, I mean, we're getting, yeah, it's, it's just, um, it's just a component of a system of a larger system that I deploy to make sure that I stay safe. It's not the overwhelming focus of my life. I enjoy doing firearm stuff. I really enjoy teaching people. So in that way, I'm more focused uh, than most people. Sure. I mean, obviously, anytime you teach somebody how to do something that is an applied skill that you've learned, then you're reinforcing the principle because it makes because sometimes you'll say stuff. I, I found this when I've been teaching martial arts, and I imagine maybe you've caught yourself or you've thought more carefully about how you communicate to somebody you're teaching. If you say stuff, you're like, you hear it as it comes out of your mouth, and you go, good. Or you go, let me fix that. <laughs> yeah. I don't give somebody incorrectly teach somebody something I don't mean to teach them. And just think about, you know, everybody's individual. So mm-hmm. they might have a different shooting problem than you've ever experienced. Sure. Just like taking somebody who has no sight out to a range. You know, I've got a friend yeah. from Clubhouse who's going to come down pretty soon, and she wants to go out and shoot. And so now I've got to sit here and think about how do I do that? You know, and like the latest thing is we come up with those those baseballs that beep. Yeah. That the unsighted think, community uses. I think that'd probably be a little bit expensive, but but. Oh, yeah, would it? Okay. Like, yeah. Well, I don't want to put yeah. my iPhone out there and put the klaxon on. So, <laughs> are you sure? Uh, no, I, I, I think I'll pass on that. Uh, uh, she'd be just lucky enough to hit it. That, may, that might be a satisfying way to get rid of a phone that stopped working, though. But what a what a what an amazing mental exercise for me to go through. Mm-hmm. What do I do sure. if I have something that's unsighted? Want to shoot? Well, sure, sure. I want to let him shoot. But what am I going to have to alter to make sure, first of all, that the range is safe, right? Yep. And that we figure out some way to get an audible signal so that they can kind of hone in on where that target may be. So I'm enjoying thinking about it and can't wait for her to come down and, and go out and do it. And maybe one of these days you and I are going to do it as well. So oh, I'd love it. I'd, I think that'd be a great Because we're so close to each other and I'm out there all the time. So it's going gonna, it's gonna to happen. We're going to meet here soon. But um, what um, what's your your take if somebody wants to get into to actually taking the you know steps to be to being more? I mean, I I have advocated people, uh, you know, find practical self defense relevant to like martial arts training. I think that's a good jumping in point. Jujitsu is a good jumping in point. But maybe that's not you know kind of where they go with that. I mean, that's one skill they're kind of building. 
Um, but if somebody wants to get into this preparedness, where do you think is a good place to start? Uh, you can go online and find somebody to instruct you. I'm a, I'm a member of the United States Concealed Carry Association. I'm a certified instructor, and they have a whole menu of different classes that you can take. Uh, there's a basic handgun safety and shooting course. If you've never touched a gun before, it'll take you through the whole process of explaining the parts of a gun, the parts of a, of a cartridge, what we call a bullet or a round, um, the parts of a gun and how they actually operate, and just demystify all the stuff about firearms that we tend to get from the media and, and Hollywood. Um, when you what do you think they get? I'm sorry. Go going. ahead. Go ahead. I, I was just curious. What do you think most people get wrong about about firearms, aside from the fact that they're just floating around, just shooting well, independently by themselves? Just about every time you see a black rifle on TV, it is a machine gun, meaning that they press the trigger one time and all the ammunition in the magazine, not the clip, the magazine is expended. Right. That is not an easily attainable firearm to own in this country. It's extremely mm-hmm. expensive. You have to go through a very extensive vetting process. And every bad guy on television has a fully automatic <laughs> machine gun, right? Uh, when you understand the different platforms of guns, double action, single action, semi-automatic revolver, uh, a revolver, uh, some out like pistol, I mean, and a revolver, you understand that most of the sound effects that you see in the TV show are completely bunk and just put there to try to create intensity. Right. The, you know, they're almost put there just so that you have, they might not even be accurate, but they're put there so that it feels more realistic for the, for the viewer. Yes. Every time somebody points a gun at somebody, you hear a trigger being cocked back and the firearm doesn't even have a trigger that's exposed. <laughs> So you sit there and you shake your yeah, head. They're not racking the slide. You know, it, it's it's a it's not an open revolver, but you still like they do the the same sound as opposed to seeing them kind of rack the slide back or whatever. Yeah, it is, and then you're, you're you're looking at a firearm that you know seven eight rounds maximum, and the guy's on his fifteenth round, and you're like, okay, yeah, this is real. People don't know how to count. Um, I mean, it's one thing if you're talking like. Uh, like Bruce Campbell and Army of Darkness, they make a big deal out of like that, but that's not supposed to be treated. They're being serious. campy. Yeah, they're being campy on purpose. But you right. see that I'm sure in like even probably uh, military or law enforcement stuff, where you're like, wait yes. a minute. And we haven't talked about the four universal rooms of firearm safety. Please, but, please. Oh, well, just real quick because I want to make a point about what you see on television. Yeah. First mm-hmm. one is that you treat every firearm as if it's loaded. So even if you've cleared it and you know it's not, so that means you don't you don't assume that it is unloaded. And every time you pick up a, a firearm, you check it to see if it's unloaded. So that means you don't point at anybody, which is the second rule, is that you never muzzle anything or point the gun at anything you're not willing to destroy. So you point it in a safe direction at all times. You never point it at another person. The third one, this is the one I wanted to get to, is you never put mm-hmm. your finger on the trigger until you're absolutely ready to shoot. So on almost every TV show you watch, mm-hmm. they're walking around, they're waving the gun left and right, and their and fingers they have their on the finger trigger. inside the trigger guard. Inside yeah. the trigger guard. And you'll start to respect it when you're watching something and you see that finger straight up on top of the slide 
on a, on a semi-automatic pistol and you're going, okay, yeah. they're doing finger discipline because a gun's not going to go off unless the finger's inside the trigger guard. And now, that, for, for those listening, now that you've heard uh, David talk about that, you're not going to be able to unsee that. You're, it's going to ruin so many movies and TV I shows know. for you now. My wife gets tired <laughs> of me groaning when we're watching stuff. <laughs> you know, We're watching a police drama set in L.A., you think they could get an advisor to go, don't do that. That's dumb. You know? Yeah. And then the fourth, yeah. just so we cover it, the fourth rule is yeah. know everything that's in front of and behind your target. So in that respect, mm-hmm. if you're at a range and you're shooting at a target, make sure it's a safe background. You know, usually there's some kind of a berm or there's some kind of material that stops those rounds from going any farther. If you're out in the woods you have to make damn sure that there's nobody downrange of that target that's going to catch a round that you fire because you're responsible for every trigger press you make your entire life. And then as far as in front of the target, that's more like to the situation of you're in defense of your life. You pulled out your firearm. People are running around. If there's people running between you and that person, you just, you just can't fire. Or there's people standing behind them. You mm-hmm. just can't fire because – if a round goes through the person and hits another person behind him, that's on you. Well, and 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 that's that's kind of the really curious thing, right? Um, it, without getting into like uh, gun control stuff, but like that's like uh, Senator Bill Brady, I think it was. Uh, basically, when when Reagan got shot, you know, Reagan survived, but it went through him and then ended up injuring, you know, the guy behind him. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't even know if I got his name right. The the senator that got you know, but the whole Brady bill. Uh, bill Brady was the, the re- press secretary, I believe. Okay, see, so yeah, that's. I mean, I was I was born in eighty, so just okay. Kinda, I but, I'm old enough to remember watching that on TV. So, but the point is, right? Like, obviously, their intended target was the president, uh, but the person who was more seriously hurt was behind him. Yes, or, but the know, perpetrator after, didn't after. care about collateral damage either. For sure, for sure. I'm not saying <laughs> I'm not trying to say, oh, it was an accident. Like he no, clearly no. was was intending to cause harm, but it illustrates the point, though. I think crazy he, stuff happens when you're when you're yeah. firing rounds, right? Uh, if you yeah. see any situation where somebody starts firing through a window or through a a, a windshield, crazy mm-hmm. stuff happens to those rounds when they go through a windshield. That is not a sound practice. What what uh what types of things have you seen or are aware of what happens if because obviously windshield glass is very different than regular glass for one anyway. I mean, it just becomes unpredictable where that round's going to go. Gotcha. So it might ricochet off and and kind of hit somebody. It could take off, off at a twenty two degree angle and not even go to where you were trying to hit your target. Sure. So I mean, you know, you just have to. You just have to be really cognizant and, and understand how things work before you deploy them in a situation like that. So once again, it's it's training, it's understanding the tool and what the tool does. Now, is there anything relevant to personal awareness, personal safety, or defending others that we didn't get to that you think is relevant given the things you've talked about so far? So we talked about personal situational awareness and the color code of awareness. We talked, we touched on home defense planning, which is making your home undesirable for those people that want to come and take your stuff and maybe hurt your family. Uh, we've talked about basic handgun safety and shooting fundamentals, including the, the universal rules of uh, firearm safety. Um, 
Uh, if you go to a class, they're going to teach you the fundamentals, how to stand, how to hold the firearm, how to get a sight picture, how to press the trigger. I mean, all these things that are going to improve your marksmanship, mm -hmm. uh, the fundamentals that you need to start with. Um, we've talked about uh, emergency first aid fundamentals. It's just knowing how to identify that somebody's in distress and get the appropriate people moving right away towards them and maybe doing some interim first aid applications that can extend the chances of them getting to the EMT and the EMT getting them to the emergency room. Uh, well, some other uh, interesting things that I've been teaching through the USCCA include um, countering a mass shooter. Uh, yeah, actually, that's that's big on, on people's consciousness. I mean, there's, you know, I think, uh, and again, this might, I don't remember if it was you, because sometimes we've had some really cool people in the rooms talking about it, but where I think violent crime in general has been down, but uh, mass shootings have been up. So as gun correct? ownership in the United States in the last 20 years has gone up, violent crime has been going down, but the incidence of mass shootings have been going up. And the curriculum I teach has studied 43 mass shootings from the time of Columbine through to the Pulse nightclub shooting. And they've identified common factors between these people that are committing these crimes, mm -hmm. how to identify them, what to look for. Um, then the second part of that class actually goes into creating an emergency operations plan, whether it's for your business or, or your place of worship and how to best deal with these situations that happen, how to have maybe people positioned, maybe people that are uh, at your place of worship that are concealed carriers and positioned in the right place, um, just how you deal with that. Having first aid kits on hand, if something does happen, even a Right, so if a, something's, a, a somebody's in an class. isolated area, exactly. If there's a, you know, some people tr get trapped inside of a room, Right. Or maybe you want to have an, an, an aid kit in that room in addition to where you would normally keep them. Right. And then having people that have learned how to use those, you know, a, a, a defined security detail, maybe defined uh, first aid details. And we probably have nurses and doctors that are at your place of worship that can naturally go into that, but training other people. Sure. Um, we do a, a concealed carry class, which gets heavily into what are the what are the legal uses of uh, what are the the legalities of using lethal force as far as a scale of how you respond like we talked about earlier with the hand-to-hand mm -hmm. -hand stuff mm -hmm. and then the aftermath what's going to happen after there's a shooting and you're involved you have to be ready for that which is something that the United States concealed carry is is very aware of because they offer as part of their membership insurance for that situation. If you are a legal concealed carry person or in your home and you have to use any weapon in your home to defend yourself, they're going to cover getting you legal help. So something to look into, research for yourself. Uh, I've decided on them. I've been there, a customer of theirs for a long time before I became an instructor. So uh, I, I, if you carry, if you're in, okay, we have 21 constitutional carry states now, which means okay. could you that, okay, thank you. Yeah, explain which means that they have said the state has said the Second Amendment says you shall not be infringed from owning firearms. So they are not requiring anybody other than people that are prohibited possessors 
the people that do the national background check and have some kind of thing on their record, a felony, a domestic violence, uh, been adjudicated as being mentally ill. Those people cannot buy firearms in this country, not through a licensed legal firearms dealer. Okay. But in a, in a constitutional carry state, if you pass that, you can go in and purchase a firearm. You can carry it open or concealed for with certain lo- slight limitations, depending on the state. But you do not need to take a class or pass a test. Okay. So I forgot where we're going with this point, but yeah, we have constitutional carry now and in 21 states. So we're almost to half the states. What were we talking about? So to that end, well, we're, um, well, we were talking about uh, things that we think people should know uh, that we haven't gotten to. We were talking about, Oh, the concealed carry class plan. And, Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah okay. So there, there are people going out there that are deciding to, to use their Second Amendment right and carry, but they need to know what's a reasonable person's test on the amount of force that they use to defend their life. They need right. to know what to expect after something happens, and they should carry insurance to protect themselves. So even though they've gone away as far as taking a concealed carry class to get certified for your state, you need to also have this information. It's very important. It can change the course of your life if you get involved in something and you're not covered and there's no way for you to cover all these legal bills. Yeah, and and you're saying that if somebody is connected with, uh, again, the name of the organization, I'm not the United not States really that schooled cons- and good. I'm oh, sorry. The United States Concealed Carry Association, the USCCA for short. Okay. Uh, another if thing to think to that about. That organization, they'll cover, they'll cover that insurance. Then is what you're saying. As part of your membership, you have insurance, which is up to uh, two million dollars per occurrence, and they offer a lot of training. You can go on the USCCA site. And you can find a, a, a certified instructor as, such as myself. You just put in your area code, and they're going to show you everybody in your area that trains underneath their umbrella, and they're going to list all the classes, how much they cost, two or three clicks, and you can register for the class. Um, once you register for a class, they're going to email you an electronic version of the textbook, and you can start studying even before you show up and get your real-time in-person training or your Zoom training. Um, it's 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 pretty fantastic, and so they're so really they're offering Zoom push. training right now, even apparently for some of some those. of my classes I can do via Zoom. Uh, when we're talking about so personal situation awareness, gotcha. home defense planning, basically on basic handgun, it's got to be in person. Emergency first aid is in person because we do practical exercises and get people sure. involved in actually applying tourniquets, applying an H bandage, so all that kind of stuff. Counting a mass shooter can be done via Zoom. Emergency operational planning for houses of worship can be done uh, uh, for Zoom. And concealed carry considerations for like constitutional states where there's no test mm-hmm. or anything involved, those can be done also over Zoom. Would you say that, though, in an ideal situation, in-person would be more beneficial? In-person is, is nice because you can have that interaction. But um, from 
Zoom, obviously, you're, you know, the cost of the class can be reduced because you're not renting a classroom right. space. So there's advantages and disadvantages to both. All right. Uh, and if somebody wanted to train with you specifically, um, just because they maybe they you know they kind of get a sense of familiarity because you know they've heard the podcast or you know they just kind of like your um, kind of even kill demeanor that you have. Uh, yeah, they can find me on Instagram at sheepdogdefender, and uh, okay. my email is sheepdogdefender at gmail. So that's real easy. It's just the name of the company. I do have a Facebook page, which I haven't really been working too hard. I pretty much rely on Instagram. And and then if you go to the United States Concealed Carry Association website, at the bottom of the page, it says find an instructor. You could put David or Yoshimura in there and, and I'll pop up or Sheepdog Defender and it'll pop up with what classes I have scheduled. Um, you can, you know, also through the email, just contact me and say, hey, I want to do a class and we'll set one up. Uh, I can do private or semi-private uh, or you can do in a class setting. If it's Good on deal. the schedule or ask me to put one on the schedule, we'll put it on the schedule and yeah. see who else signs up and make a go of it. So uh, right now I'm training people in Utah. I'm working on training some at a training venue, uh, setting it up in Anaheim, California. And then also I'm looking at another facility in San Bernardino, as well as doing some stuff in the desert here. Good deal. Now I'm, I'm going to have to, to take you up on that, uh, you know, coming out and, and learn how to, handle things with a little more, uh, you know, practical <laughs> approach. I mean, I, I, um, again, it, you know, we, we had that conversation. This, we can table this to another time, but relevant to me using one, even if I'm not going to, to reach for a firearm, generally speaking, um, because of the whole knowing what's been front and behind and all that, you know, cl- unintentional damage. If my wife was to ever own one, I want to know how to, how to manage that gun. Um, so that, you know, even if I'm not using it, maintenance and, and safety and all of that, um, in the event that, you know, I need to handle it for any reason. Did, I, did they tell you my origin it. story with the handguns? No, no, please. Actually, in fact, I'm, I, I was actually going to get to uh, what did we not cover that you would like to. And so this is really like just, your personal journey. Kind of a funny story. But, um, you know, I, I was in Boy Scouts. I went to camp. I shot a 30. 22 or whatever, you know, during the camp. Mm-hmm. That was the end of that. We didn't have firearms in the home growing up. Uh, wasn't part of our culture at all. And I got to the desert in the early 80s. And one day I was sitting on the couch watching a TV show. And there was some storyline where stuff was going down. And they hand this character a firearm. And he just looks at it and goes, I don't know what to do. And right then and there, I decided I'm not going to ever be that guy. (laughs) So I went down to the local range and took a firearm safety and introduction course from from a retired sheriff. And I would go down. I didn't own any guns. I'd go down there and I would rent one like once a month. And I'd get a a revolver. I'd get a semi-automatic. I'd just get all these varied ones because I was going to know how that thing operated if and ever it ended up in my hand in a situation where I needed to use it because I wasn't going to be that guy. So that's how I got involved in yeah. firearms. And then I still didn't know firearms for a long time. And then eventually I got into it and uh, also got into trap shooting. I went to a kid's camp and we did some trap shooting. And I went, man, that sounds like a lot cool. of fun. Yeah, it is fun. Um, moving target, you know, 
mm-hmm. shotgun. And so I ended up getting into that and the trap shooting. Then I started training more and more firearms and I sucked. So I got professional training <laughs> and I started, I got a, I got a, um, a membership at front Sight, Nevada and train there every year. I just did a four, four day private out there honing my skills in shotgun and, and rifle because eventually I'm going to offer those classes. But I've been mainly focused on handguns for these years and uh, basically the self-defense with a handgun. But um, I'm becoming a fast friend with a shotgun as well. It's a pretty cool platform. I, I Honestly, the the first time I ever shot a shotgun, um, I mean, I was in my 20s by the time I ever shot a 12-gauge, but it was uh, – I didn't grow up with guns really. I mean, I, I had a BB gun when I was a kid, and I lived in yeah, in the country and stuff. But um, there, there is a certain uniqueness, <laughs> satis- satisfying uh, something. I was I was out in the middle of the desert out in uh, Nevada, and it was this. You know, all the locals they they know about this spot. It's it's they have a bunch of old like water heaters and refrigerators and things. And you know, I was blind by the time at the time that I went, but it was very satisfying to to you know, shoot that, that 12 gauge, it filled the power of the recoil on it, but to hear the, the very satisfying ding, (laughs) (laughs) you know, when I hit the side of the old water heater that was out there in the, this sort of, you know, I wouldn't say backwoods because there were no trees around, but this, this desert range that, that I was out at. It's a, it's an interesting platform. And some of the people I've befriended on clubhouse that are firearms instructors, I'm surprised that some of them say that's their favorite platform, that they would choose a shotgun over everything else. And mm-hmm. now that I've done some more training, understanding how versatile a shotgun is, because you can have something loaded in the magazine, but then you could drop one shell out and put something else like a buckshot or a yeah, slug you can in. Have multiple t- I think uh, it was either you or Jake, because both the, the two of you are the uh – the two that I remember that seem to be the most knowledgeable that I've spoken to that you can have like three different types of, of shots in, you know, depending on how you load the preload the gun. Yeah. So like you could have bird shot for something that's close and then, okay, now all of a sudden now you have a target that's a hundred, you know, 150 feet out. Well, you can switch and tactically load a slug and now you've got something that can reach that far. So, it's very intriguing. I need to get. I'm. I'm going to get more involved in, in using tactical shotguns, because it's. Uh, it's. It's just a. It's something new for me. So it's kind of exciting. <laughs> I have a. I have a love hate relationship with my AR-15. So, because <laughs> I have all this California stuff on it, it makes it like a monster. <laughs> just keeping well, it then, all legal then, here folks you know yeah, yeah. no and D- david's on top of it you know the, the and and i know people kind of hear the word even an ar-15 mentioned and the, you know, some people who are unaware of guns they kind of get real uncomfortable just even hearing the, the that particular gun referenced but and it's not an assault rifle it is an armalite model 15 rifle the assault rifle term is made up and it is basically the modern sporting rifle, which is used, is the most popular rifle in the United States. It's used for vermin hunting. It's used for coyote predator hunting. It's used in a lot of uh, wild boar. It is used for hunting. A lot of people say, well, you don't use that for hunting. It's only made to kill people. That's not correct. And you have to do a little digging. And the stuff you hear in the mainstream media 
versus how things actually work, in my opinion, in a lot of different areas of our life, <laughs> is not the same yeah. information. Yeah. No, there's, there's nothing – and this is transcends just firearms and personal safety, but there's nothing more frustrating than being knowledgeable about a topic and hearing somebody report on it in the news media and – realize they have no idea what they're talking about but people will believe what they're saying as if it's authoritative because they have a platform 100 percent. exactly well that's why we try to bring people like you on onto the show to to actually at least have somebody with some actual training and experience talk about this stuff so people can get it straight from the source instead of second or third or fourth hand yeah so i just want to promote people to start thinking about living a sheepdog life you know Start, start, start the June. You're, you're not going to be there in a week. You're not going to take a class and be done. It's going to be a journey, just like we talk about when people start jujitsu. I mean, I'm starting yep. that journey right now. I have a long way to go there. I still have a long way to go to be. It, it's an a fun road, though. I mean, that's a thing. Yeah, yeah and, and, and that's a thing, a, right? It does. This doesn't have to be a drudgery, right? Like you can, yes. There are consequences learning jujitsu. Yes, there are consequences in owning and use learning to use a firearm. And it's it's not it, and they are tools, both the jujitsu skill and, and firearms. But you can have fun learning to use a tool. Yeah, and you can stimulate your mind. You know, that's learning that martial art is really waking my brain up because it is difficult. That's good. And shooting <laughs> well, very what we're back here on the podcast is doing difficult and scary things on purpose, right? We don't exactly. want to just kind of let life exist. You know, we don't want to let. And speaking for people who hold to this sort of adventure mind ethic, and this overlaps with the sheepdog defender ethic, you know, is we want to do the difficult and scary stuff so that when the that we choose, so that when the difficult and scary stuff comes to us that we didn't choose, we're not rocked by it. We want to be able to be prepared for that so that we're a little more resilient before it's it comes. All preparing for that day that you're called upon, right? And if you yeah, if you're well prepared or even moderately prepared, you're going to have a better shot at surviving it than if you did nothing. And I gained nothing hey, sitting David. on my couch watching TV. <laughs> David, thank you so much for coming on the show, man. I, my I, pleasure. I, I appreciate Enjoyed this. It. Yeah, this was good. This is good. And um, any, any last parting words? Just uh, think about it, people. You know, Decide to take responsibility for your own personal safety and your family and do some things. Just start down that path. Learn something. Firearms might not be for you. Martial arts might not be. There's there's no right answer other than doing something. You know, mm-hmm. becoming proficient and 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 doing basic first aid, just for the peace of mind of knowing that something happens to your kid, you're gonna know how to react. And the more you practice this stuff, the less chances you're gonna panic. And panic is the thing that kills people. Well said. Thanks, David. And uh, as always, adventure is a state of mind. How you live it is up to you. Mad props to you. I mean, Josh, it's amazing what you uh, what you go out and do with challenges that you have, and it doesn't stop you. And I can't wait till we get to hang out in person in San Diego. Oh, this is going to be fun. This is going to be real fun. All right. Cool. Thanks, All man. right. Thanks, everyone.